0: Hey DunkerPunks, this uh, latest episode poses a really interesting question for us. What is the difference between pacifism and peacemaking? Have you ever thought about that? Have you heard those two words used in different ways? Or are they interchangeable in your mind? Pacifism, peacemaking. Take a minute while we listen to Jacob and Ponder.
1: I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be a sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. My Santa, don't wanna drink cola, no. I don't want to drink Coca Cola. I don't want to burn petrol. One perfect fruit. don't want to feel guilty. I just want to be countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving, organic gardener. I want to be authentic. I want to be radical. I want to be optimistic, honest, beautiful, one be humble. I want to be progressive. Want to be. Open Inspiration
0: years ago, the Church of the Brethren made an effort to move from being known as one of the historic peace churches to becoming a living peace church. That move recognized that even though our beginnings were from a place of oppression, you know, right, that the First Brethren were arrested and jailed and derided and became the targets of both state and cultural violence for their religious beliefs. But in recent years, we've mostly been a white, middle-class, pretty privileged tradition that has not really faced threats of violence, either to ourselves or our communities, at least here in the United States. So what does it mean to be a living peace church and not just a church that counts pacifism and nonviolence among our foundational values? In this episode, Emmy talks about the difference between pacifism and peacemaking. In particular, Amy Yoder McLaughlin answers the question through the lens of her work with Christian peacemaker teams, especially in Palestine. If you don't know very much about the history of Palestine, it's probably sufficient to say that it is a place filled with conflict violence and a complicated history. And the conflict goes way back, much farther in history, but when the State of Israel was established in 1948, it was on land that had long been claimed by both Jews and Arabs. Today the State of Israel has been occupying Palestinian lands for over 50 years, and that occupation has not been peaceable. Under Israeli rule, Palestinians are subject to physical, emotional, cultural, and systemic violence. Christian Peacemaker Team supports Palestinian-led, nonviolent resistance to Israeli occupation and the systems that uphold it. As you listen to Emmy and Amy talk about pacifism and peacemaking, I encourage you to consider your own life and your own commitments. Have you ever been faced with immediate physical violence? Can you imagine how your own commitment to pacifism or to peacemaking would or would not make sense if and when you were?
2: Christian Peacemaker Teams is an organization that um, started in the 80s in the Anabaptist communities, and folks had been really trying to figure out what does it mean to practice peacemaking in our time. And I know folks have been having conversations about that in the 80s. And then um, Ron Sider, who is uh, a Mennonite, Theologian uh, spoke at the Mennonite World Conference in the early 80s, or I'm sorry, Mennonite World, yeah, Mennonite World Conference, in the early 80s, and basically said, Our definition of pacifism is flawed. And if we really believe in peace, we need to be willing to put our bodies on the line uh, to be peacemakers. And that really struck a chord with, um, with Mennonites and other Anabaptists in the 80s, and out of that came Christian peacemaker teams. So CPT is an organization that goes where they're invited, and they use an accompaniment model to work with indigenous people on the ground uh, and support the work of um, nonviolent peacemaking uh, in different communities. So, Emmy, you and I traveled to Palestine this summer, but they also have organizations in, uh, or work in Colombia, uh, in Kurdistan, they do indigenous solidarity work with indigenous tribes in Canada and the U.S., and they have also, uh, they also have a, some work on the island of Lesbos with the refugee crisis there. They're posted all over the world, and, um, and again, they go where they're invited and they support the work that's happening. So they're not there to be like, okay, we're the white people, and we know how to do this, so follow us. <laughs> so that's important. Thanks yeah. for
3: that explanation there. And so can you now explain why you got involved in CPT and just kind of your, your background in general? Sure.
2: I had been attending Germantown Mennonite Church in Philadelphia since 1996, and that's a congregation that's always been involved with CPT. So um, we would you know, support them financially and get updates from them all the time. And I didn't really think too much about them until uh, they had a thing in 2011 in 2000. or 2012 uh, where they they did a fundraising program with uh, Ted Swartz uh, from um, his theater company, and it was called Peace Pies and Profits. And so they were going around the country fundraising for CPT, And telling more about the work, and I got really interested in CPT then. But I had little kids, and how do you take two weeks out of your life to go somewhere, uh, you know, on the other side of the world that feels a little dangerous when you have little kids? So I kind of put it off, but it was this kind of nagging feeling of like, I really need to do one of these trips. That same year, I met Omar Harami, who uh, is the executive director of SABIL, which is a Palestinian liberation theology organization in Jerusalem, and he invited me, like, you really need to come to Palestine. I'm like, ha, I can't do that. But then it was still that nagging feeling of I need to go. So uh, in 2013, I brought some folks from Germantown Mennonite Church with me on a delegation, and uh, it was totally, completely transformative. Uh, I was not ready for the trip. I was not ready for how intense it was, how much there was to know about um, Palestine and about the conflict. And it was a really hard trip. And I thought, okay, well, I did that. I'm never, ever doing that again. And in 2014, I just really felt like I need to go back. I need to bring more people back to understand this conflict and to understand what it means to be a peacemaker. So I called CPT and was like, hey, I've got this great idea. I'd like to lead a Christian and Jewish delegation to Palestine for CPT. Can I do that? And they were like, cool. So uh, I did that. The next year I led a delegation of Jews and Christians, and um, that was 2015, and I've been leading delegations ever since. Well, awesome.
3: And so out of this, you said that you have been pastoring at a Mennonite church which has a pacifist stance, a peace historical peace church. Mm-hmm. And so how has PPT shaped your view of pacifism?
2: Uh, I'll just start in, by saying that I did not grow up in the Mennonite church. Uh, my dad did. Um, I kind of grew up in fundamentalist Christianity and rediscovered for myself the Mennonites in high school and mm-hmm. thought, oh, well, this makes way more sense than whatever it is I grew up with. So... I feel like I've chosen this tradition. I don't feel like I understood nonviolence uh, until CPT, though, like, you know, it's one thing to say, like, I'm a pacifist, but that's, never, that's not been challenged for me in my life. So when I came out of the 2013 delegation, I came back pretty pissed at the Mennonite Church um, for this very naive view of pacifism. I don't call myself a pacifist anymore. I say instead something like, I believe in nonviolence. I believe in uh, finding nonviolent solutions. And that might be a little bit of a semantic issue, but I feel like pacifism implies this, I call it armchair pacifism, where you can kind of sit back and be like, well, we don't believe in doing that. And that's not right. Instead of getting into a situation and getting your hands dirty and really struggling with what it means to follow Jesus. And there, there's kind of this insinuation with pacifism that, you know, we don't get involved in that. And that's not what I'm called to do as a follower of Jesus. I am called to be involved in conflicts and not be afraid of them, but also approach them differently um, without violence. Um, and... In doing that, that requires that I see every person involved in a conflict as a child of God. And that is not always easy to do, especially in Palestine, I think, when there are just soldiers everywhere and you just look at people and you think, oh, I'm just so angry with them. And I, to remember that they are beloved of God is so disarming in in a scenario like that.
3: And so, Amy, you and I went, are you led me and 11 others on a delegation to Palestine in just August of this year, so 2018, and I think from that trip, I think I'm identifying more with your view of peacemaking than I did before, and I think that this is something that I've kind of collected on my own and with the kind of just guidance of other people as well. Just from being on that trip, I think that your statement of that armchair pacifism is just hitting the nail on the head right there because I think it's so easy to identify as a pacifist and not have to do anything about it for so many people. Like, I grew up in the Church of the Brethren since about the fifth grade, and so pacifism was a big part of that, and I loved that so much. I loved identifying as a pacifist and saying that I you know, didn't agree with all this violence and all that kind of stuff. But again, that's so easy to say without having a lot to challenge it. So me as a, a white woman in the Midwest, it's really easy to just say that I'm a pacifist and not do a lot about it. And so for me, just being in Palestine and seeing all of the violence that was happening, it was really challenging for me to find a way of still having that stance of just being able to say I'm not a pacifist because there's so much more to it than that. And so for me, I think you would agree as well. I think that peacemaking is more of an active kind of way of proving nonviolence and kind of not necessarily, I mean, in a way, mending conflict, but also just having that more of a holistic concept rather than pacifism being just kind of like, yeah, I won't add to that kind of thinking. Do you would kind of agree with
2: that? or? Yeah, I, I agree, Emmy. And, and I think that the thing that makes peacemaking, I mean, pacifism feels simplistic. Peacemaking feels really complicated, and appropriately so, you know? Like, we can't go in as peacemakers and act like we have all the solutions, I mean, because that that perpetuates the violence of the colonizing missionaries of generations past. Like, peacemaking involves a lot of humility and seeing what people on the ground are doing and supporting the, the work in that way. And particularly in Palestine, I think the work was about us just showing up and sometimes just showing up and keeping our mouths shut. <laughs> so I'm thinking of the time in Jerusalem. I think it was the first or second day of our delegation when we witnessed a young woman being um, harassed by soldiers. And the powerful witness was that the Palestinian men were surrounding her and supporting her, and all we had to do was stand there and bear witness. And that was, that was a disarming moment for the soldiers because it wasn't just that Palestinians were watching and recording. It was that American citizens were watching and recording and bearing witness. And I mean, that's part of our peacemaking too, is just showing up and being a presence and uh, using our passport privilege to to disarm conflict.
3: That was such a beautiful experience for me. But To know that there were so many people that continued to stay and support this young woman being harassed by soldiers with guns was incredible to me. Because I I thought about the violence and what they were putting on the line by staying there Mm -hmm. and just bearing witness. And that was amazing to me that they chose to stay anyway. And I thought that was another cool just way of peacemaking is just kind of standing there, as you're saying, just bearing witness. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many alternatives to um, just kind of responding in a violent way, and I think that we kind of just need to continue to rethink that. And I think CPT does such a great job of that.
2: I agree. I agree. And, I mean, some of the other things that we had a chance to do on that trip that are examples of, of peacemaking are, you know, bearing witness to the clashes, meeting with Palestinians and hearing their stories of escorting. Well, we didn't get to escort kids on our trip, but some of what CPT does is escort kids back and forth to school, continue to walk through communities where um, Israeli settlers don't want us to see, and, um, you know, our continued presence is building peace, and that's important for me to do every year.
3: And so something that I'm thinking about now
2: is, after being on that trip, I'm
3: now back home, and I'm able to kind of just sit on my couch and watch all of this through the news feed, and it's, there's not as much that I have to do or there's nothing that I feel like I, I need to do as far as it's so easy for me to now sit back in it. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, is how do we continue to be active peacemakers wherever
2: we are? Well, that's such an easy question, Emmy. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, I find that it is, yeah, you're right. I I mean, particularly, so right after the trip, I moved from the city into the suburbs. So I find it to be very easy to kind of be buffered by the suburbs and the fences and the space uh, and not feel like I have to do anything. So I feel like that is a constant, space of checking myself. Um, and so, you know, the peacemaking, it's a practice. So it's something that you just keep trying to work on every day. Um, but in terms of, of the work in Palestine, I'm trying to keep telling the story and I'm, I'm trying to, uh, support my friends and people that I care about in Palestine. Uh, you know, today there were, uh, homes in Susia that were demolished, and last week, um, al Keat was um, demolished for the 134th time, and, you know, just knowing those things and continuing to keep those things in front of me and keep them close to me is, a, is an important act of peace that I don't forget that in my own comfort, um, there are other people that are experiencing discomfort, so how do I keep supporting that work there? But I, it is tricky in the suburbs. I'm finding because it's very easy to just be lulled into comfort, to just uh, Netflix the night away, or you know, not be plugged into ways that we can continue to um, be voices of peace. It, it's a constant challenge, which is part of why I keep going back to work with CPT.
3: Yeah, and and peacemaking is is so many different things. Peacemaking can be advocacy and. Peacemaking can be actively working on something, but it's so many different things, and I think that whoever believes and has value in peacemaking can find a way to do it in their own, wherever they're at, and peacemaking can, can find them where they're at. Yeah. Do you yeah. think, so here's another, here's a more pressing question. Um, let's move this into more of a theological discussion um, about the Bible and where we see peacemaking happening and where we see peacemaking not happening within the Bible. And I think that for a lot of Mennonites and brethren, they kind of take on the New Testament um, and take on just the role of Jesus being a peacemaker. But so often we see in the Old Testament God being almost inherently just violent in so many different situations, like in Deuteronomy, when God kind of calls to destroy, you know, everyone in the conquest of Canaan. And just so many examples of God being violent. I mean, what's your view on that? What do, you, what do we take away from, from situations like this and kind of act in the way that Jesus acted?
2: Um, so I'm going to give you a biblical interpretation that I have some, some difficulties with and that it is somewhat supersessionist. Um, and it's certainly not how I intend it, but I'm just going to preface it with, with that disclaimer. When I read the Hebrew Scriptures, I understand those texts as people writing the Bible, writing these stories down, and trying to understand where God is in all of it. So there's some interpretation of the role of God in these stories. And I don't think, I mean, I think that they are, they come out of uh, an imperfect human understanding of who God is. And I think that, you know, Jesus' incarnation coming into a messy world and showing us what it meant for God to understand humanity better gave us Jesus. And I think Jesus, for me, is a clarifying lens. So I I think that the Hebrew scriptures are people trying to understand God and not quite getting it right. Um, My Jewish friends are going to disagree with me on that one. So um, apologies to my Jewish friends on that. And I'm I'm sure I have lots to learn on that one.
3: (laughs) That's fair. I mean, and and this is a discussion between, I mean, two people who are interpreting what we can. You know, we definitely don't know it all. But um, I think that's the cool thing about, the Dunker Punks podcast is there's so much room for just kind of questioning everything and I think that's what's so cool about this is we're able to kind of question pacifism and peacemaking and all this all this other stuff and I find myself often especially after the trip lately thinking a lot more about pacifism and how we use that within what I've seen within the Brethren community and I'm going to project and say probably within the Mennonite community, just oftentimes we just are kind of told pacifism is good, and um, that's kind of just a blanket statement. Right. And so so often I'm, I'm just kind of hearing about how we should be nonviolent, but often it's not being pressed to what extent and why, you know, all this other stuff. And I'm just kind of missing that within my church, And so, how do we kind of have these conversations and continue to challenge our own views on it and other people's views on what it means to be a peacemaker?
2: That is such a great question, and and I think that there is a, I, I think that we we need to drill down into our theology and drill down into our own congregational practices. And I mean, I think about the the kind of mission work that. The Mennonite Church supports, and there's a lot of great work with MCC and, and Mennonite Central Committee and, the, and they do a lot of they do a lot of important work um, and so I 'm not going to pick on them, um, but there are some other Mennonite mission organizations that are still following this violent colonizing model of uh, spreading the good news and there's violence to that that takes people 's cultures away that doesn't respect the inherent value of all humanity. And I think that part of our work in being peacemakers is asking those hard questions and not just saying, like, yes, not let's not be violent because, I mean, no one in church wants to admit that they're violent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are violent things that happen in our assumed practices. The language that we use to describe each other, the ways that we talk about other communities, there is violence there. And part of my work as um, someone who believes in peacemaking and in nonviolent um, action is drilling down into that and questioning those assumptions. So I'll give you an example. Um, a couple weeks ago, someone in my new church came up to me and said, oh, my goodness, I felt like when I was at home in the suburbs like I was actually in the city because there was a shooting down the street from my house. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. Like, what makes you think that the city is so much more dangerous than the suburbs. You know, like, we're just really good in the suburbs at at hiding the violence that happens in our communities. It's still there. We just don't see it out in the open the way you might assume that it's seen in the city. So I felt like walking with this guy and deconstructing that a little bit is a way to tear apart some of the the violent assumptions that we have about each other.
3: So part of this peacemaking is just having these conversations and challenging, you know, what people are are thinking. And that's that's kind of, through the example you just gave, that's kind of what makes me think of that
2: then. And you may hear this too in conversations about uh, the conflict in Israel and Palestine, like just assumptions that people have about Palestinians based on what they read in so-called liberal um, newspapers like the New York Times. And then our job is to say, well, you know, my experience there and my friends there do not reflect this narrative that you have of this place. You know, Palestinian does not equal terrorist, um, And in the same way that uh, Israeli does not equal terrorists, like, we have to um, unravel some of those narratives that are set up to create hate.
3: The more I'm thinking about this, the more I'm kind of thinking, and this is probably a very, a very... I don't know if I should okay um, i I'm seeing peacemaking as more of a constant kind of challenging the status quo and kind of rethinking and reshaping our own thoughts on things, so just constantly challenging instance of um, Israel and Palestine and just this idea that some that Palestinians are terrorists are. Israelis are violent and whatever, just kind of challenging that thought on it and breaking down that generalization and breaking it down to people are people. And I think within being a peacemaker, you kind of have to have that at the core and be reminded of that. As in versus pacifism, you might think of a general something of violence. Does that make any sense at all?
2: No, I, th- I think you're right. And I, and I think wrapped up in peacemaking is... I, I'm going to bring it back to an earlier point, is, is the, the sense that we have to constantly see the other person as a cu- human, someone that's made in the image of God, and that wrecks any preconceived notions that you have about someone, you know, because mm-hmm. hate means that you can distance yourself from their humanity, and I think peacemaking is about restoring the shalom and the wholeness of all God's creation. So, you know, when I think about those places where we were this summer, where we were in close proximity to soldiers who had their fingers on the trigger of a machine gun and it was pointed in our our direction, My, my prayer every time, the whole time that I'm surrounded by people with guns is, this is a child of God, and how does this change how I behave towards this person? It doesn't mean that I have to start a conversation, it doesn't mean that I have to buddy-buddy up with this person and and all of a sudden I'm, you know, taking pictures and BFF with this 18-year-old soldier. But it does mean that I have to look in their eyes and say, this is a creation of God. And, wow, we are in a really broken system and I have to love this person. Or at least, (laughs) at the very least, honor that God loves this person if I can't quite muster up the love myself. that work of peacemaking keeps us from hating each other or from us hating other people. And it seems really easy to do that when you're not in a place of extreme conflict. And when you look at our current political climate, um, that feels really hard to do too. And I'm going to nuance it even more and say that um, recognizing the humanity of someone doesn't mean that you cannot have a firm, loving conversation of accountability with someone you know like uh, for me as someone who is is very progressive in my interpretation of scripture if i encounter someone that does not share my world view that doesn't mean that i'm like well i have to love them it also means i have to say hard things um because love is you know love is patient and kind but it's also like you know intense and has strong feelings and fights for what it believes in. So peacemaking is is not, you know, a wilting flower kind of thing.
3: Peacemaking is constant, too. Um, Like you just said, we need to love everyone, no matter if our views are differing or if that person is holding a gun with their finger close to the trigger. And just kind of showing peacemaking um, just throughout, through love. And Mm so something that I would love to challenge is oftentimes when we, I keep jumping back to pacifism because I think that still floats around within conversations, especially within conversations of peacemaking, specifically within the Church of the Brethren and probably the Mennonite community, the Quaker community. And so when we're talking about pacifism and we're talking about, we're talking about pacifism here um, in the United States, I often hear people say that if they were to have an intruder come into their home and point a gun at them, that they would probably just let them shoot them because they are not going to pick up arms in response. And I think that that's such a challenging thing to say because you're not really sure what you would actually do in a situation like that, right? Like most of us have been lucky enough to not have the experience of intruder entering our home pointing a gun at us. And so I think it's so easy for us to say, you know, I wouldn't respond with violence. But I think that that also just shapes and presses the idea that peacemaking is this continuous action of love. Mm
2: -hmm. And
3: I think it leaves the door open a little bit more to the fact that everyone is human. I don't know how I would respond in that situation, but I would hope I could respond with love, knowing that they are human and that I don't know what they've been through.
2: Yeah. I always get a little cranky about that um, about that analogy of like what if somebody comes in your home thing because I mean that doesn't often happen (laughs) Um, and so it becomes this theoretical thing that people can sit back and contemplate and it's not something that people are forced to engage with in like a real life kind of way so for me it makes it look like pacifism is like when you're facing someone with a weapon and it's far more complex than that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
3: Yeah. And so, again, it keeps challenging me to question when we're using the word pacifism versus peacemaking. So for me, and I think you touched on this in the very beginning, that you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a pacifist, and I really like that. I think that as people who believe that we should emphasize nonviolence, that peacemaking is, maybe a better term to be using as we're reshaping what we think pacifism looks like Mm -hmm. because being a peacemaker means being nonviolent, but being active about it, being intentional about it Mm -hmm. and being intentional to love everyone. But also like said earlier about CPT, just putting your body on the line Mm -hmm. to really show that peacemaking. And I think that's, what's really critical when we're talking about pacifism versus peacemaking. Yeah. For, for speaking with me. Do you have anything else to add?
2: Um, Well, let me just add that I'm leading a delegation in 2019, uh, a Jewish-Christian delegation with a rabbi friend, and uh, I would love uh, for any of the listeners that are interested to uh, join me on a delegation. So uh, check out cpt.org if you're interested in going to Israel-Palestine with me next summer.
0: I love this one line from Amy. Love is patient and kind, but it's also intense and has strong feelings and fights for what it believes in. Doesn't that just sound like Jesus to you? Patient, kind, and also pretty intense? Fighting for justice and working for peace. In 1991, the Church of the Brethren adopted a statement that they called peacemaking, the call of God's people which is worth reading in full if you want to Google it, but here's one line that struck me when I looked up this paper. We believe that living in Christ Jesus, who is our peace, means more than advocating for peace. It means embodying God's peace, living God's real presence in and for all peoples and all creation. Peacemakers are Christ's living and resurrected body at work in the world today peacemakers are christ's living and real presence in and for all peoples and all creation so what do you think Dunkerpunks? how do you identify are you a pacifist are you a peacemaker are you both or neither how do you think about conflict how do you behave in conflict my prayer is that each of us each one of us would find the faith and the courage to live as peacemakers Christ's living and resurrected body at work in the world today. The Dunker Punks podcast is a collaboration of over 20 young adults from across the country and listeners like you everywhere in between. Arlington Church of the Brethren founded and sponsors this project that reaches beyond congregations and traditional church structures, features the emerging church, and welcomes everyone into this new community in Christ. For this episode, the team included Emerson Goring, Kevin Schatz, Suzanne Lay, and me, Dana Cassell. Till next time, Dunker Punks, practice that peacemaking.